Oh, wow. What a good morning it's been so far, hasn't it? Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, there it is. It's coming. I can feel the spirit coming uh, in your hearts and I'm sure in your homes too. Is everybody decorated all the Christmas presents bought and you're ready for Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that little one. That's exciting that you're so ready and mom and dad are going, what? I'm not sure. Listen, I am so excited to, to begin this season of celebrating our Savior Jesus. He is uh, worthy of all our praise, worthy of all these songs that have been put together over these years for us to sing in remembrance of his wonderful birth. And uh, his birth is wonderful. There's no doubt about it. And I hope over this season, you get to talk about uh, the baby Jesus all kinds of times. But don't forget to talk about why he came. And uh, not only that, it's our theme for this next series of sermons, uh, messages, is his name is Jesus. You know, I I think a lot of people feel the rush of Christmas, the challenge of Christmas, the complicatedness of Christmas. And as I thought through that this year, I thought it really is quite simple, isn't it? Christmas should be kept quite simple simple. And what's more simple than when we talk about Jesus, we just say, his name is Jesus. What a beautiful name. Do you love the name of Jesus? Getting to know this man, this one called Jesus, his name is Jesus. Let me tell you a story. uh, Kathy and I moved into uh, our neighborhood about three years ago. And we love our little neighborhood, and we love our neighbors, and we're praying for them. And, and I, I met a gentleman near the mailbox where you have to go and found out that he goes to another church in town. It was so wonderful. And uh, we exchanged names quickly and said, oh, we'll see you again. And we did. And the next time we saw each other, I, I, I said, I'll call him Bob for the sake of anonymity. I said, Bob, how are you? He said, Brian, I'm doing well. God's keeping me. I, I didn't quite hear it quite as clearly as that, but I just kept going, and Bob, have a great day, and I'm walking away. See you, Brian. I said, Brian's a nice name, but it's not my name. So I thought, well, I'll figure out how to tell him my name is Alan in, in time. And it just kept going on for week after week after week where I couldn't find that opening. You know, you've been there where somebody's got your name wrong, and you're trying to do it. You don't want to make them feel bad. But there came a day, and I just said, this is the day. Here he's coming to the mailbox, and I said, hey, Bob, how are you doing? He said, Brian, I am doing great. I said, well, Bob, I just want to help you here, because I think somewhere along the line, something got messed up. My name is Alan. And he was so wonderful about it. He said, Alan, you're not the only one I've called by the wrong name. I'm getting old, he said, and he's a little bit older than me. But, oh, it felt good to be called Alan because all along I'm going, I know a few Bryans are nice people, but it just doesn't feel right for me. Maybe you have read in high school, or maybe you're even a Shakespearean lover now, and you remember that dear character, Juliet, who said, what's in a name? Remember that? Did you read that? 
I did some 40-some years ago, and it went right by me like, who cares? I, I did not enjoy Shakespeare. But the next line in, uh, after she says, what's in a name, is that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. How wonderful, eh? How, how poetic. What is she really saying? She's talking about her love, Romeo. And she is saying, this man I love could be known by any name, even Brian. And I would love him with all my heart. Brian, I know you're out there. I love you, brother. You're... And in other words, she's saying a, a name does not make the person. And to a certain degree, I get that. Do you get that a little bit, you know? But I, I, I can't agree totally with that. A person's name becomes very much ingrained in who they are. You know their name, and you know when you say that name, when I say the name Brian, my friend Brian, I know who he is. I've gotten to know him over the last three years. Or Bob or whoever. You know that person. I do suggest that names do carry more weight than what Juliet was saying. And it's certainly true of biblical names. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll discover rather quickly that names in the Old Testament uh, carried a lot of weight. And of course, we know that Jesus lived in Old Testament times, even though his life is talked about in the New Testament. And so... And a person, uh, when named, that family is passing on characteristics to that child. They communicate the character and mission of that person named. Think about in the Old Testament, in Genesis 17, 5, that one called Abram. Abram became Abraham, because God had a mission for him. It says in Genesis 17, 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have what? Made you the father of a multitude of nations. And we know that Abraham went on to father all these children, and the children fathered children, and so on and so forth. And today we have the nation of Israel. Even his wife was given a new name. Her name was Sarai. Now it is to be Sarai in Genesis 17, 15, and 16. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah she be, shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and will bless her, and she, will be, and she shall become nations. So here a husband and wife were named and then renamed because of the mission of God, the call upon God in their lives. Not only that, how about Daniel? Does anybody love the character in the Old Testament, the man named Daniel? Well, Daniel was very important to me. When I came to faith in Christ, it all came about as the teacher taught me about this man of God named Daniel. And it impressed upon me to, to look to Jesus and trust in Jesus. Daniel served in the courts of the Babylonian conquerors of Israel. And they wanted to change his name. They gave his name, does anybody Sunday school remember? Belteshazzar. 
very good. And uh, that was for them to try to incorporate Daniel and the others into the Babylonian culture. They thought, we'll give them a Babylonian name and teach them Babylonian cultural ways, and they will be one of us eventually, and their families and families and families. But Daniel's, Daniel knew his name, and he knew what his name meant, and they knew, he knew his mission behind his name. Daniel's name really meant, God is my judge. God is my judge. What does that mean? It means it's an expression of confidence in the name, uh, in the judgment of God over uh, all those who would rule him. God is my ruler. God is my judge. And Babylonian king and people, although you think you are ruling over me, God of heaven, Yahweh, the great I am, is my ruler. And his name was his mission in life to tell everyone about that God who is over him. So with this you know, naming thinking in mind, it should come to no surprise that when we turn to the story of the birth of the Messiah, that uh, the name given to this infant would carry an enormous significance, both to mom and dad, family, the Jewish nation, and us, here today, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is his name. With that, let's just pray as we continue. Father, we come here today to just bask in the name of our beloved Jesus. We, as followers of Christ, should never tire of hearing of this beautiful name and beautiful one, Jesus. And so, as we take some time this morning, help us to just contemplate the depth and the significance to us, to each one of us today, that we find in the name Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at Matthew 1, verse 1, you see that Jesus is also called son of David. He's called son of Abraham. You also heard as John read the scriptures this morning, did you like the Bible he brought? I thought we needed a page to hold up that Bible for him. It's huge. But John is like me. My eyes are dimming. But the God's word doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's those words that mean so much to us. Thank you for letting me pick on you, John. You're a gracious man. But the name of Jesus, in that reading this morning, uh, John read the, the name Emmanuel as well. And, and, and we will look at that name, Emmanuel. But in verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse 21, we find that it says, you shall call his name Jesus. How, how important that is to contemplate this name above all names given to the child by the angel through Joseph. And so first of all, let's look at our first point being Jesus. The name of Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus, the one who saves. As we look at this passage, we study it, come to realize that uh, Jesus is the Greek translation 
of the name Joshua. Uh, Joshua was a really popular name in uh, Jesus' day. And so there were many Jesuses around. Uh, Joshua, how, how could a mother or father not name their child Joshua after uh, Moses' great uh, 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 leader in training came about that he, Joshua would take the people of Israel into the promised land. And it, it's like naming uh, your child today, um, you know, the captain of a team, of your hockey team or your football team or your baseball team. It's, you're proud of your team. Well, Parents back then, Jesus was uh, the name. Joshua was the name. Matthew tells us it wasn't about uh, the popular name. The name that was given was a name that was just full of meaning to uh, Joseph and to Mary. Because they knew who Jesus was. He was a miracle child beyond miracle children. The name of Jesus was more than just simply an act of giving your child uh, a handle to, to grab onto. In our home, uh, we, we named all our children, but in the end, as parents, what would happen is we're trying to uh, tell our, uh, our middle child, stop doing that, and we would go, Jennifer, uh, uh, Bob, Bill, Fred, stop doing that, because we get so, of, and, and we realize that even if we call our child something, some days it wasn't easy to figure out which child we were talking to. But not with Jesus. Jesus, precious name of Jesus. Jesus, the one who fulfilled the name, his name's meaning in several practical ways. Jesus is the one who saves. Think about that in your own life. Remember in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was calming that storm. It came up quickly as the disciples were trying to get across the lake. And uh, it says in Matthew 8 that the disciples were sailing across the Sea of Galilee and a vicious storm overtook them. And as they're being uh, overtaken by the storm... They say, Jesus, Jesus is sleeping in the back. He's quite calm, trusting his father. Jesus, Jesus, why are you sleeping? Save us. And Jesus saves us. As a matter of fact, if you look at Mark, to get a little bit more detail here, Mark chapter 4, verse 39 says, And he awoke Jesus after hearing this call, this cry out for them to be saved by him. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He rebuked the wind, and those words, be still. And he saved them. Everything calmed down. If you remember, as we were going through the book of Mark, that phrase, be still, was the Greek word, pardon me, pephimiso which means to be muzzled. This is interesting. Get a, get a picture of this. He is saying to the wind, put a muzzle on you. Calm down. Be still. But more than that, when you look at this term in how it's used in other places, for example, in Mark 1, it says uh, of the uh, moment when Jesus called a demon out of a man, he said, be silent and come out of him. Pephemizo, come out of him, be silent. Muzzle. 
That's what he was saying to the, the devil. So when we look at this storm, what we see is J- Jesus is not just saving them from a natural disaster, but one where most biblical scholars see as a, an attack by Satan himself. That Satan was behind that storm. And Jesus, the one that we know to be the savior of the world, says, I'll do what I've been called to do in this moment. Be silent to the storm. Be muzzled. I will save you. But he not only did it then. Remember the woman that was afflicted with uh, this illness for 12 years? And she made her way through the crowd thinking, if only, Matthew 9, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. I will be made well. That word for made well comes from to be saved. I will be saved, she is saying. She knew that if she were able to touch Jesus, yes, that her physical ailment would be healed. But listen to how Jesus replies. After he knows that he had healed somebody, he said, your faith has made you well. I think as many biblical scholars do, not only did she get healed that day, but she was made whole for eternity. She came into a right relationship with the Father. Jesus, again, doing what he was called to do, what he was named to do, was to save. And Jesus saved Peter and the disciples on that, in that boat, saved this woman. How about Peter himself? Remember when they were out on the lake and, and Jesus had not come with them, and all of a sudden Peter says, who is that out there? Who, who's out there? He's walking on the water. It's Jesus. Jesus is out on the water, walking on that water. I want to be with Jesus. I want to do that. Jesus, can I come to you? He gets out there. He's walking on the water with Jesus. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus. What does he yell to Jesus? Save me. Save me, Jesus. I'm going under. Jesus takes his hand, and they get into the boat. And in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, Matthew 14, verse 33, Truly, you are the Son of God. The one who has come from heaven, who is named Jesus, the one who will save. You are God. So, Jesus is the one who saves. But secondly, that phrase in this, in this passage just doesn't stop there. It says, Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. More descriptive words that will help us understand this beautiful, precious name, Jesus. You know, in these three amazing examples I just gave you, we see healing, we see uh, con- uh, controlling of the elements, and we see um, uh, the, the keeping uh, an individual from death. Those are all the saving aspects of Jesus. But now we see that particularly, it says in verse 21, Jesus will be the one who saves his people from their sins. We're let in on the very essence and life mission of this one, Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about that time when uh, the two sons of Zebedee, the brothers James and John, 
had their mother. Can you imagine? Mom went to Jesus and said, hey, listen, Jesus, do me a, do me a solid here. When, you know, you bring your kingdom in, can you get my sons, James and uh, John, to be on your right and left-hand side? Those, those are pretty important positions. I think they would be good in those positions. Listen how Jesus lovingly but pointedly responded to this dear lady. He said in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, it's recorded, it shall not be among, uh, so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Think about it. Jesus is saying very clearly, I know my mission. And these young men, they're going to have to figure out where they are in God's plan for their life. But I know mine. And at, that mission is to give my life a ransom for many. And Jesus lived in a day that that would be understood immediately and fully. A day where uh, many paid a ransom to get their loved one out of bondage. It was called debt slavery. And if you uh, went through your life and you accumulated debt with somebody uh, and you couldn't pay them, what would happen is you would be put into a slavery position to pay off that debt. And too often, uh, the debt would never, ever get paid off. But without little hope or little prospect, if maybe a relative would come along and say, I will pay the debt of this one I love. This is my family. And they would ante up money, and that one would come out of debt and be freed forever. Matthew 20, 28, where Jesus is giving his mission, really in essence saying, my name is Jesus, this is what I'm all about. He's laying out the redeeming mission that he had to accomplish. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom to pay the debt owed by every man, every woman. Jesus is the ransom giver. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to figure out, what does Jesus mean to me? Oh, it's wonderful that he has this beautiful name just not quite getting it. Let, let me put it in this terms. The scriptures teach us so clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in a broken relationship and we are in a debt relationship to God. We are in, in a slave relationship where God is the master and nobody, uh, I can't pay that debt. Nobody else can pay that debt that is owed for my sin because it says in Romans 6.23, when it comes to the wages of sin, it is the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is that the case? Because Jesus paid the price. He gave his life as a ransom for many. So dear one who is searching today for an understanding of what Jesus 
should mean to you, who he is to you. He is the one who paid your ransom, made it possible for you to have freedom and hope for eternal life. To have, as Romans 5, 1 says, to have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, when we think of Jesus as the ransom maker, the one who paid the ransom, we think of him in this way. At stake is the, our very freedom of life and eternity, and Jesus made it possible to be free. Are you free? Many in this room would say, Jesus is my ransom maker. Jesus is my savior, my redeemer, and that's awesome. But don't leave this place today without making that decision to let him be that, to be the one who saves you from your sins, to say to Jesus this morning, I trust you. I confess that I am a sinner and I, I put my whole faith and trust. You paid the price for my sin. I like what Max Locato says, great Bible teacher. He says, though the Bible was written over 16 centuries ago by at least 40 authors. I think he wrote this a few years ago. But he says, it has one central theme, salvation through faith in Christ. The whole Bible is about putting your faith in the Messiah, the one who would come, the one who would save his people from their sins, Jesus. Have you put your faith and trust in him today? And this truth is reiterated so clearly when Jesus gives his disciples that practice that we're going to do in a little bit of remembering his death. We call it the Lord's table, communion. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 27, and 28, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. You can try to get God to forgive your sins by doing good, maybe even going to church and putting some money in the offering plate, by going out in the world and, and, and really being the salt of the earth. But the reality is the only way our sins will ever be forgiven is what Jesus did at Calvary by going to that cross and taking my place. And that was the ransom that he paid his life for ours. So we see, one, Jesus is the one who saves. Two, we see Jesus the one who saves uh, us from our sins. And three, I just wanted to sort of move us and get us ready for next week. Jesus, the one who is God. As I said, next week we're going to look at Jesus. His, name, his other name is Emmanuel, God with us. But today we look at Jesus as his name, and we see Jesus is an exalted name. I love Philippians chapter 2. The whole chapter is wonderful, but verses 9 to 11. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does that not lift your spirits? To know that every day, one day, everyone will raise their voices saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our Jesus. Paul uses 
awesome language to lift our eyes to the throne room of heaven where every knee will bow and every voice will proclaim Jesus is Lord. And there are many out in the world who right now refuse to bow. They will not put their knee to the floor for Jesus. But when it comes to that day, that day one will happen where every knee will bow, I want to be the one who bows willingly to the one who paid the price for my sin. You know that, that scripture, Philippians 2, 9 to 11, is actually an Old Testament quotation from Isaiah 45. And in Isaiah 45, verse 23, it's always, it's all about talking about the Lord. And here, Paul actually takes the name Lord out and puts Jesus Christ, the Lord, in there. So he, he is equating Jesus as God. If you have any question about it, Old and New Testament come together just perfectly. So Jesus' name is an exalted name. Jesus' name is a glorious name. Psalm 72, 17 to 20. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And over this season, we will be lifting up his glorious name. And the whole earth will hear it in every corner. Oh, if it would be everyone in every corner lifting up his name. Again, back to Philippians 2, uh, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. His name is Jesus. When you meet him face to face, which name will you call him by? I know that we'd all say, God. He is God. We might say, Emmanuel might be wonderful counselor, mighty God, king of kings, prince of peace. I, I think I'm just going to say, I'm so happy to see you, Jesus. Jesus, you saved me. Your name, Jesus, is so powerful to me. All the others are powerful, but this one means so much. When I was 16 years old, I called out, said, Jesus, save me. And true to his word, he did. He paid the ransom for me. Jesus. Jesus' name is also a powerful name. We know his name is called upon for healing. Acts 3, verse 4 to 6, Peter directed his gaze at him. This is that man on the way. They were going uh, to the temple, and there was a lame man and, and, and hoping to get some kind of financial help. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man rose up and was fully, totally healed. Wow. Healing in the name of Jesus. Continuing on their way to the temple... They went into this area called Solomon's Portico, and they preached to the crowds. Uh, to the crowds, 
by faith, they said in Acts 3.16, by faith in his name has made this man, they just healed, strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in, all, in the presence of you all. Through Jesus, we find healing. We also find salvation, of course. We just talked about this. It says in Acts 4.12, what a powerful statement. For there is n salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. And that name is Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus. I, I love some of the old writers. Harry Ironside, an old pastor, many, many uh, decades ago wrote this. Christ is a substitute for everything. But nothing is a substitute for Christ. Think about that. You got addictions and struggles and problems. Christ is the substitute for those things. But nothing can be a substitute for Christ. So he heals. He saves. And when it comes to prayer, think about this. It says in John 14, 13, For whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The ultimate purpose for our prayers is to bring glory to the Father, to say, I trust you, Father. Help me to ask for the right things. And when we pray in Jesus' name, uh, you, are, you are seeking the Spirit to guide you to ask anything and everything to be consistent with God's character. So we just don't say, Lord, I really did like the look of that Ferrari the other day I saw. Can I have one? You can ask that. But when we ask it, we ask it in Jesus' name, saying, Lord, you know what's best for me. And I'm pretty sure you probably don't want me to have that Ferrari. What I love about um, new Christians is they're learning how to pray. Ever notice you'll hear a, a young, young Christian pray, and oftentimes they will finish their prayer and say simply, Amen. And you know, it's not absolutely wrong, but they're learning. But as you, you see Christians mature, what you find is they end that prayer in Jesus' name. Why? Because we've come to learn that if it is not in Jesus' name and we have not prayed by the leading of the Spirit, it's worth nothing. In Jesus' name. When you, are pr when you pray in Jesus' name, you're asking that anything and everything you ask for be consistent with God's character. I don't know where I got this quote, but in the name of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of prayer. And the treasury of God's grace. It's the weapon that defeats the enemy and the motivation that compels our sacrifice and service. It's the name, Jesus, that causes our hearts to rejoice and our lips to sing his praise. Is that how you feel when you speak the name of Jesus? So, what's in a name? When it comes to the name of Jesus, 
the one who is Christ, the one who is Messiah, the anointed one. What's in a name? What, when it comes to Jesus, everything. There is no name like the name Jesus. That Jesus born in the stable some 2,000 years ago. It's the only name by which men can be saved. It's a name above every other name. It's a name at one point all creation will bow before him. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, we bring our request to God, knowing that whatever we ask, whatever we are led to by the Spirit to ask, the name of Jesus brings the power for God to work through us. This name of Jesus, is it precious to you? Call upon Jesus. Let him lead your life. Let he be the one alone who can save you.